0: In the days before air travel, travelling by sea was one of the fastest ways to get anywhere. Yet it was also fraught with dangers, such as running aground on rocks and heading into storms. And in 1838, the SS4 Fisher did both in the North Sea off the coast of Northumberland. While many of the crew and passengers were sadly lost, 18 survived. And nine of those survived thanks to the intervention of Grace Darling, the daughter of the lighthouse keeper on Longstone Island. Grace Fast became a national hero, but in some places it's hard to distinguish fact from folklore. Let's go and meet Grace and learn more about the Daring Sea Rescue in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there, and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult, and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author, and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me your host Icy Sedgwick. Now this is not the original introduction that I recorded for this episode. I did originally record this episode on Monday the 5th of September and it was intended to be an anniversary episode for Grace Darling who made her heroic rescue on the 7th of September in 1838. And that episode is still going ahead. It is this episode that you're about to listen to. However, after chatting to a few of you, it did seem like I needed to go back and add just a short little introduction, because whatever your feelings on the subject, the passing of the Queen has had a huge impact on people one way or the other. And, as this podcast is ultimately about stories and the narratives that we tell, one story has ended and another is beginning – Also, I know that if you're in the UK, a lot of things have been cancelled. But let's be honest, I didn't even cancel the podcast when I had COVID. So I figured it was best that I just go ahead with the episode that I'd already recorded. Now, there will be people who genuinely don't care about the news. There'll be people who are pleased by the news and there'll be people who will be sad. But I feel like whichever camp you fall into, here's a distraction and something that's got nothing to do with the news that is going on right now. And I hope that you enjoy this little phase of Northern English history. And I also hope that you'll enjoy meeting Grace Darling. So without any further ado, here is this week's episode. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are continuing with our Folklore of the Sea theme, as I mentioned last week. And this week we're going to meet Grace Darling. Now, Grace did have a bit of an anniversary on Wednesday, the 7th of September, but obviously this is really the closest date to that that I could do the podcast episode for. So we're just going to jump right in because I absolutely love Grace Darling. People might be going, but I see, who was she? Let me tell you. Grace Darling was born in Bambourg in Northumberland on 24th of November, 1815. Now, she actually spent most of her life living on the Farne Islands and they lie off the Northumberland coast within sight of the rather imposing Bamborough Castle. And her father actually operated the lighthouse on Longstone Island from 1826, and that's just one of the islands within the Farne Islands. Grace helped her mother around the house, and she helped her father by cleaning the lamps. Trinity House actually paid her £70 a year for her help, and she also earned a bonus whenever she helped with rescue or salvage efforts and her father taught her skills in keeping watch from the lighthouse, and all of these skills would come in handy any time she and her father had to help rescue missions. Now, the family hadn't always lived at Longstone. According to Rob Bell's programme Lighthouses, Building the Impossible, they'd also lived at Brownsman Island, but it wasn't really large enough to accommodate the family, so they kept their animals there and grew food in the cottage garden. Grace learned to row by rowing back and forward between Brownsman and Longstone, and all that rowing is going to become important later. So we move forward to the 5th of September 1838 and the SS4 Fisher set sail from Hull heading for Dundee and it had the crew and 60 passengers on board and it was also a steam ship as well I should point out so it's not like an old-fashioned sailing vessel it was actually powered by steam but the problem was once they were at sea the boiler broke down. And the crew tried everything that they could to get it working again, but eventually they just had to turn it off because it just wasn't working, which meant that they were then essentially traveling by sail, not steam. And, you know, that might have been fine if the conditions had been fair, but obviously we're getting into September in the North Sea. It was never going to be plain sailing. And on the 7th of September, a storm rolled in. And with only a sail to direct the ship, the captain tried to head for the Farne Islands. Now, that sort of makes sense because you think you would obviously want any port in a storm. But I would also point out that 42 ships had wrecked at the Farne Islands between 1740 and 1837. That's why they have lighthouses on them. Now the four fish are headed for the Longstone Lighthouse and most people think that the captain had seen it and confused it with the lighthouse on Innerforn, because Innerforn is the island that's most often visited to see the puffins in the summer and if you get the chance to do that I highly recommend it. The puffins are so funny but Innerfarn is also the one nearest to shore so it's a little bit safer whereas Longstone Lighthouse by contrast is furthest from land and surrounded by really quite powerless rocks. Now, no one knows for definite why the captain made for Longstone and not in a fern, but some people think that he must have gotten confused, but no one knows for definite because he unfortunately was lost in the disaster. And ultimately, a wave dashed the ship against Big Harkar Rock, and it actually split in two, and it took just 15 minutes for one half of the ship to sink, and that took most of the passengers with it. Unfortunately, the lifeboat was not in the half that sank, so obviously the passengers had no means of getting off it. And nine people did manage to get into the lifeboat, but then there was another nine when their half hit the rock. They managed to then scramble onto the rock, so at least they were not in the boat anymore. But they were then essentially clinging to a wet rock in the middle of a storm in the middle of the North Sea, which can't have been particularly fun either. Now at 4.45am, Grace is over at Longstone Lighthouse and she spots the wreck from the top of the Lighthouse, and she alerts her father to what's happened. And unfortunately, she and her parents were the only ones on the island because her siblings were away, so everything was going to rely on these three people to know what to do. Move forward to 7 am, the sun finally starts to come up and dawn breaks. And it's only this that lets Grace see that the survivors are still clinging to the rocks because it was too dark for her to see them earlier. But now she's like, Oh no, that's not going to be a good situation and Grace and her father William knew that the horrendous conditions meant that the North Sunderland lifeboat just wouldn't be able to launch, but they also couldn't leave the survivors to their fate. They were going to have to rescue them. Now, the Darlings had a rowboat called a Cobble, and luckily Grace had experience in handling this because she'd been rowing around the islands, as I mentioned earlier. But the storm still hadn't abated, and in order to make sure that they weren't dashed against the rocks, she and her father actually had to row essentially a mile out of their way just to avoid the worst of the rocks. And they did so, and they managed to reach Big Harkar Rock, and when they got there, William had to leave the boat to reach the survivors. And Grace then had to row backwards and forwards in the stormy sea to keep the boat off the rocks. And I think this is one of the things that really starts to show what kind of woman Grace was, that she's essentially managing this quite large boat, quite heavy boat, in really awful conditions by herself. Now, her father, obviously, on the rocks and he's scrambling round amid the storm, he found eight men and a woman. And sadly, the woman's two children had already died. But the lifeboat could only take five people as well as William and Grace. So they decided to take four men back to the lighthouse, one of whom was really badly injured, and the woman. So when they got back to the lighthouse, they unloaded the five survivors and Grace, and then William and two of the men from the Forfisher then headed back for the other survivors. And Grace and her mother then looked after the survivors in the lighthouse. And I think part of the reason why William takes the crew men back with them is, I imagine that would have been incredibly tiring. And obviously the only reason why he'd really taken Grace in the first place was because Grace's brother was away and if he had been there... He would have then been involved in it instead, but it's essentially Grace is the one who spots it. And she's like, we really have to do something about this. So that's how she kind of ends up getting so involved. Now, it took two hours to rescue all nine of the survivors. And they did. They rescued all of them and they got them all back to the lighthouse where at least they could then wait in shelter for someone to then come and pick them up. Incidentally, you might be going, well, what happened to the lifeboat? It got carried out to sea by the storm. But a sailing vessel actually picked up all nine survivors the next day. So ultimately, 18 people did survive the wreck of the SS-4 fisher sure. But of course, then we move into the aftermath and Grace basically became a celebrity. And obviously, while all the rescuers were incredibly brave, including her father and the two crewmen who went back out into the sea to go and help. Basically, Grace was the one who defied gender norms and people didn't consider that women could act in such a way and in such horrific conditions. So the Royal Humane Society awarded both Grace and her father gold medals, while Grace was the first woman to receive a medal from the RNLI. And obviously, if you're not familiar with our acronyms, that stands for the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, which had actually been founded in 1824. Queen Victoria, who had also just come to the throne recently, sent Grace a thank you letter and also sent her £50 to honour her actions. And indeed, I actually had a look on the British newspaper archives about this, and there was quite a lot of stories in the paper where people were essentially raising subscriptions to be able to send William and Grace money to thank them for their efforts. So they're essentially having like a national whip round because people wanted to be able to honour them for their bravery. And what we do need to remember in terms of context, and a lot of this information comes from the Royal Museum's Greenwich article about grace, Britain was actually quite peaceful at the time, which does give you a slightly different context that people were then able to focus on an incident of national heroism rather than the usual empire and conquest and things like that. However, steam travel still remained extremely dangerous, so it was kind of the perilous thing that was happening at the time. And introducing steam power had done nothing to reduce the dangers, and if anything, it had actually made them worse. So in this context, Grace became both a hero for her actions, but also a symbol of the problem that still needed to be fixed. Trouble was, Grace hated the attention, and she really missed just working in the lighthouse and getting on with her life. But the problem was, instead of working alongside her father, she then had to lose huge portions of the day to write thank you letters for all of the fan mail that she received. There are rumours that she ended up sending so many locks of her hair to her admiring fans that she ended up nearly bald. So that's how, how popular Grace was. But the other problem that you had was photography was still in its infancy so really the only way to capture someone's image was to get them to sit for a portrait. And the public absolutely loved images of Grace so she ended up having to sit for countless portraits as well. It didn't last that long for her though because sadly in 1842... Grace contracted tuberculosis and she died on the 20th of October at just 26 years old and hundreds of people actually turned out for her funeral in the local area. Now the folklore began almost immediately that the news broke about what had happened in 1838 and of course some of the paintings show her as being tall and blonde but she was actually five foot two and she also had brown hair and to be honest with you a small stature actually makes her achievement all the greater. But Royal Museums Greenwich were the ones who pointed out that if Grace's brother had been at the lighthouse, he would have made the rescue. So in some cases, while her actions were really unusual, she also didn't really have a choice. And I think in a way that makes it so much more laudable. The fact that she still was like, well, fine off, we will out do something. And her ability to steady the boat while her father reached the survivors. I think that, I mean, that really does deserve admiration. But the weird thing was, even though much was made of Grace's gender, people still try to show how the ideal woman was supposed to take care of people. And this kind of almost fits in with a lot of the mythology that you get around Florence Nightingale as well as the Lady of the Lamp and stuff like that. Because life-saving then became an acceptable feminine trait. And I found this in the Leeds Times from 1842. And they said about it, and I quote, She is not like any of the portraits of her. She is a little, simple, modest young woman, I should say of five or six and twenty. She is neither tall nor handsome, but she has the most gentle, quiet and amiable look and the sweetest smile that I ever saw in a person of her station and appearance. You see that she is a thoroughly good creature and that under her modest exterior lies a spirit capable of the most exalted devotion, a devotion so entire that daring is not so much a quality of her nature is that the most perfect sympathy with suffering or endangered humanity swallows up and annihilates everything like fear or self-consideration puts out, in fact, every sentiment but itself. And essentially what they're saying there is the fact that she's got such empathy with her fellow humans that if anyone's in trouble, she's going to dive in to save them, essentially, is what they're getting at. But it's the way that they're really kind of go to such lengths to be like, look how amazing she is. And she is, she's amazing. But it it was the kind of the way they did it because she was a woman, not just because it was like, that was an amazing thing to do. So essentially an icon was born at this point. And the Victorian media really adopted her as an English icon, although it should be pointed out that William Darling was actually Scottish. And some people had then started to claim that William had been reluctant to set off. And this is a really major part of a lot of the retellings that you find online. An article from the Perthshire Courier of the 20th of September, 1838, claimed, and I quote, At, at that hour, the sea around the island was so tempestuous that it appeared to Mr Darling to be impossible for him to render any assistance then, and we believe he expressed his conviction of such being the case to his wife and daughter, when the latter, prompted by an impulse of heroism which in a female transcends all praise, seeing that it would have done honour to the stoutest-hearted of the male sex, urged her father to go off in the boat at all risks, offering herself to take one or if he would take the other, end quote. So they really cast Grace as the hero of the tale, then persuading her reluctant father to help. Yet it should be noted that even Grace herself contradicted this narrative and she actually reminded people of her father's experience and that he knew exactly what he was doing. So I'm not quite sure where this idea of her having to persuade her father came from, but that is something that you do come across quite a lot in a lot of the retellings and indeed poems paintings and books all helped to keep grace darling's legend alive william wordsworth wrote his poem grace darling in eighteen forty two and she also entered the national folk tradition because there were so many ballads written about her as well Now this is quite problematic for historians because the earliest books did fictionalise aspects of her life and the rescue. And some people even claim that she's been able to hear the survivor's cries from the lighthouse. But I mean if you've ever been outside even just on a windy day let alone a stormy one. You'll know how you basically can't hear anything. So that one's really unlikely and of course many of the paintings also depicted grace alone in the boat so they're capturing the point where she kept the boat steady but it did rather give the impression that she'd actually gone out on the rescue by herself and there are even some people who still say she went out alone and that's just not right at all and indeed objects related to grace then became relics to her admirers and in true victorian fashion a soap company actually adopted her name and image to sell their product now, Grace's legacy does still live on and we can obviously make a much better attempt at working out the truth behind her with obviously all the evidence that people have been able to amass over time. And whichever way you look at it, she was deeply heroic in her actions. Neither the Sheen William could have rescued the nine survivors on their own. So I do think that you have to bear in mind that there was two people who went out in the lifeboat. But those nine people owed their lives to the Darlings. You can see the actual cobble at the Grace Darling Museum in Barnborough. And her memorial still stands in the town churchyard if you want to go and pay your respects as well. And of course, one of the wonderful side effects of Grace's legacy is her association with the RNLI. And you too can donate to them to help this wonderful charity continue their excellent work. And I know I did because I do think what they do is marvellous. Obviously, where I live up in the northeast, obviously, Grace Darling is a story that you learn pretty much at primary school. So it's actually almost quite a privilege for me to have been able to share her with you beyond sort of the limits of the northeast because I think that people in the rest of the country have definitely heard of her but I don't know how popular or famous she is outside of the UK so if she's new to you then I hope you enjoyed the story if you knew her anyway but you just enjoyed hearing more about her then great and I am going to be doing lighthouses for the next week because obviously we've just been talking about Longstone Lighthouse so we are going to have a look at the folklore and legends and probably a few ghost stories associated with lighthouses I suggested that on Patreon and one of my Patreon supporters was like, yes. So that's what we're going to have a look at next week. So that should be quite interesting. So, yeah, I hope you come back and join me for that one. If you do have any requests for the final Folklore of the Sea episode, then please do let me know, ideally sometime before next Saturday, just so that I've got time to do the research and everything. I am considering doing like a seaside plants one. So like, like plants that you would find around beaches and look at the folklore of those but I haven't decided yet so please do let me know what you'd like to learn more about and without any further ado I'll let you go and do whatever it was that you were doing before you started listening to the episode and I will see you next week when we have a look at the folklore of lighthouses cheerio well thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed that episode If you did, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts because that helps other people find the show too. It also takes between four and six hours to research, write, record and edit these episodes. So if you want to help support my time in doing that, then you can buy me a coffee. Or you can join the fabulous Folklore family on Patreon and enjoy extra benefits including exclusive episodes and articles and even illustrated talks. All the links you need are below and thanks in advance.